podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Mensel. Joining me via Zoom for the first time is Paul Dennett. Paul, welcome. How are you? G'day, Manners. Yeah, I'm going pretty well. Um, all things pretty good. I've been enjoying doing a lot of research about cricket and history. I've been doing a lot of uh, stuff on Bradman, so I'm in I'm in a pretty happy place at the moment, although the world is not. Yeah, you look pretty happy. Um, <laughs> for those of you who might have missed it, Paul released a little feature, a mini-pod, on the TV coverage that Australia gets from the ashes, the history of that coverage. So go back and listen to it. It's a little 14-minute mini-pod, but Really can't miss it. And later on in the week, I've got a feature interview with Alex Blackwell coming up. But as we discussed on the last show, we're going to keep this podcast going throughout the coronavirus lockdown. Uh, Obviously, we've changed things around a little bit and there's not so much cricket to talk about. So we're going to review the test, but also Paul and I are going to do them remotely. Uh, So yeah, you might notice a little bit of a change in sound quality. And obviously, when this is all over, I'll make Paul come and sit in the studio with me again. (laughs) Um, so in this episode, we've got got the cricket headlines to wrap up. We are going to review the first episode of the test, and then we're going to bring it on home with listener mail and some messages from the listeners. But let's get straight into the headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And uh, we're doing this podcast via Zoom. Paul, earlier today, I had a, a Tim Payne a Zoom press conference. So it was Tim Payne at his home in Tasmania with about 30 cricket journalists from all around the world asking him questions. And there was a few headlines coming from it. Firstly, his car was robbed this morning outside his house in Tasmania. And uh, he woke up to some uh, messages from his bank saying there was a few fraudulent um, transactions going through. Um, so, yeah, that was the first big news. No cricket news, just a break-in in uh, I think he's in Launceston. And then he was asked what he thought of Joe Root's comments about the test documentary. And and Payne's sort of comment was, well, you know, we did this documentary not really as an insight for opposition captains. I don't think (laughs) he thought about that. Uh, We did it more for the the fans. But I guess we'll talk about that later with the test. But I guess it does give opponents an insight into what goes on in the dressing room. We will be talking about it in detail. But one of the insights that I think it gives is just how um, hard-nosed Australia played their cricket and how professional they are. And I'd love to see an equivalent documentary for some of the other sides. Um, and they might realise that maybe they don't try, train quite as hard, especially around things like fielding. The other thing Payne said were that um, his goal is not the 21-22 home ashes. He's taking it series by series. He feels like um, the Australian team now is in a better place to deal with problems as they come up than maybe when he first came back into the side. That's maybe a little bit to do with Justin Langer's um, uh, coaching. He said that, um, you know, for the cricketers, this period, unless you're playing for the IPL, is a period to be at home. So although it's an adjustment, being at home now is not a massive adjustment for many of them. 
Yeah, and hopefully things can get back to normal uh, more quickly than we expect. Cricket in the Southern Hemisphere, at least, might not be as badly uh, impacted by coronaviruses as other sports have been. But uh, if it goes a lot longer, which I fear it will, then obviously the impact to cricket will be enormous. Yeah, good question put to him by one of the other journos was how the whole test championship could be affected by uh, the coronavirus um, epidemic, the fact that, uh, you know, it's scheduled for the middle of next year, 2021, but they just might not be able to get the, the test series in by then. So they'll either have to rejig the format or maybe push it back. Yeah, it's something that all the sports are grappling with. That um, The English Premier League is kind of still not sure what they should do, whether Liverpool should be given the title. Sheffield Shield made a nice abrupt decision to give it to New South Wales. You could make the argument that Australia and India are so far ahead they'd be in the final anyway, so that's what it should be. Yeah, and it was sort of put to pain that, you know, if it was delayed, would he still be around for it? And he was comment was he wouldn't want it to be delayed for too long. Uh, so it might give you an idea of how he's <laughs> thinking. And uh, just last one, um, I asked Payne about his good form with the bat all summer. And he said that playing England and facing the moving ball really helped him technically. And then he came back to Australia and he felt in good form. So he decided to be more aggressive and that kind of helped his batting being um, more aggressive. So it's yeah, good to hear from the Aussie captain. He was asked about Smith being available to be the captain now, but he wouldn't bite on any of that. He was asked if the players are bracing for a pay cut. He played a pretty straight bat to that one saying that there's so much um, up in the air at the moment. It's hard to really be focused on a, a pay cut. Yeah. So um, yeah, good to chat with Tim Payne. Now uh, the next cricket headline um, and speaking of uh, Steve Smith, he can be skipper again of the Australian sides. His two-year uh, period of, um, well, one-year ban and one-year being banned from the captaincy is over. So sort of sandpaper scandal is really over now. And just on another note, Steve Smith was jogging around the park today. I ran, almost ran into him. So apparently you he's two metres away from him. I did keep two metres away from him. And he, I think he's doing 10 kilometres a day, Tim Payne said uh, earlier. So, um, you know, Smudge has got a ball of energy, so he wouldn't be finding this lockdown too good. Uh, it's interesting that you say that the sandpaper gate is over. Jared Waitley, the um, very good broadcaster from Melbourne, made the point that Cricket Australia actually wrote into the punishment that any consideration of future leadership would be conditional on acceptance by fans and the public, form and authority among the playing group. And that was for Steve Smith. I think that the last two of those, he's got no problems with form and acceptance from the playing group. But I think there's still a sizable proportion of the public who are yet to be won over as to whether he deserves the captaincy again on, um, based on what happened in South Africa. And also, even if you tick that box, is he the right person for the job? Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's also going to come down to who else is vying for the captaincy. I mean, if there are some other strong candidates, I think they will lean perhaps uh, to somebody else. And then maybe Smith would be vice-captain, I've heard Robert Craddock suggesting. So, yeah, Steve Smith is available, though, to be captain if needed. The other bit of news, um, I was listening to Phil Tufnell and Michael Vaughan talking about um, the potential for English cricket to play the Blast or the 100 behind closed doors this summer. Um, but but it, I can't see that happening, to be honest. I can't see it happening either, but the one thing I'll say is that every week that this is moving so quickly that predictions that sounded sensible a week ago can sound silly. Now, the thing I'd have against that potentially is even if they could do it from a safety point of view, and why I didn't like the football codes, codes continuing in Australia is that we are not in a normal time. The public 
um, need to understand that you can't go to the beach, you can't do this and that. And if you've got cricket or football going on, even if behind closed doors, it gives a sense of normality that maybe shouldn't be there. So I understand the desire to get it on, but I can't say nothing either. It's also not a great time for the 100 to be trying to launch even because, you know, with the restrictions on travel, you're not going to be able to get the overseas stars there. I'm not sure why you'd even try and play it in these circumstances. Like everything else, it might need to be pushed back a year. I think the only reason they'd play it is money. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's not a reason to be sneezed at. Cricket in England is going to be in real financial difficulties. Actually, I heard them say that if the, the, the Tokyo Olympics in 2021 would be a great opportunity for the Olympics to regain some popularity, that all the cynicism might evaporate, everyone might be like, oh, this is just great to have some Olympic Games on again. But maybe the 100 could piggyback off that, that in 2021 everyone could say, yeah, I wasn't a fan of it. It's just, just nice to have some fun cricket back again. Yeah, I think that is true. As soon as we get any cricket back, we're all going to be so happy. Whatever. <laughs> and last headline, and uh, our friend Ben Horn from the Daily Telegraph wrote an article on the young West Australian all-rounder Cameron Green. And he wrote that Green could be in Australia's next Test eleven. Now, what struck me about this article, Paul, is that you know, Ben Horn has pretty good sources. He's usually not wrong. So this is a pretty clear indication, I would say, that the selectors are, are thinking pretty seriously about Cameron Green. He scored three centuries over the summer. He's back bowling again after having stressed fractures. And he's the sixth youngest player in Shield history to have t- taken five wickets and scored a ton in his career. So he's certainly a player to watch. Absolutely. And I, I'd be quite happy for him to be very much in the mix for the Australian side. We've talked about him before. Uh, the three centuries this season really got the headlines, but his overall bowling average, I think, is about 21. Uh, so, you know, that's really good. And you've got that list of the players there that have done it. And it's a pretty impressive list, given that you've got Bob Simpson, Doug Walters, um, Mitchell Marsh, Ron Archer, and Stan McCabe. Now, you glossed over Mitchell Marsh very quickly there. <laughs> no, to be fair to him, though, he's played many, many test matches. Um, Ron Archer played test matches. And then you've got Stan McCabe, who is um, uh, one of the, probably a borderline great player. And Bob Simpson and Doug Walters, who I'd say were great players. So you've got some um, a pretty impressive hit list there. We do indeed. So Cameron Green, uh, whenever Australia starts playing test cricket again, he could be in the mix. All right, we're going to take our first break on this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. I just want to remind you, if you have a moment, go on. Well, what am I saying? You've all got a moment. You're all at home, uh, you know, watching uh, streaming services, playing video games, listening to podcasts. So click one more button and leave a review for Cricket Unfiltered. We'll certainly be reading them all out uh, next episode. So do that. And after the break, we're going to start our review of Amazon's The Test with episode one. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, the longest running weekly cricket podcast in Australia. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. Joining me as ever is Paul Dennett, and it's time to sink our teeth into The Test by Amazon. And and let's start with episode one. We're going to go through one episode a week for the next eight weeks. So let's start with the way it opens. The test opens with Josh Hazelwood basically getting the last wicket um, to retain the ashes and they sort of build up the drama. Um, Yeah, good start. Yeah, it was a great start. The production values are so high and you can see that right from the first few seconds that this is not going to be any ordinary kind of documentary. And also in one of the very first scenes, they show Sean Marsh violently slamming his helmet into the ground in anger. 
that to me again showed the level of access they're getting. Because Sean Marsh is one of the most placid, friendly guys. It's like, oh wow, this is um, this is going to be something pretty well worth watching. Yeah, what do you think about the issue of Cricket Australia having sort of final edit on the show? Does, does that take away from the experience for you at all? Um, no, because I think that Cricket Australia would never have given them um, the opportunity to do it without having that, that final edit. I, I think that the, that's a worthy, a worthy trade-off given the enormous access that they still have. So, yeah, basically the, the documentary starting in the wake of the sandpaper scandal and uh, it starts just as uh, Justin Lang is about to be appointed as coach of the Australian team and they, they show a shot of JL holding up the Australian flag when he was a player and talking about how much it uh, hurt him, what happened in Australia. And I think at this point, Jared Whateley, who you mentioned before in the podcast, was brought in uh, to give sort of context. I think he's quite a good uh, cast member. He is. And the whole ball tampering thing, I, it's funny how even after two years, I'd forgotten just how angry everyone was. You know, the front pages of Cheats and the Prime Minister going out and hearing the anger in Robert Craddock's voice, I think we've all kind of we've calmed down a little bit. I think that the hefty punishments handed out to the players have helped us accept what happened a little bit better. But at the time, uh, it was the biggest cricket story in this country, well, you know, just about ever, really. It does seem quite a long time ago now, doesn't mm. it? Yeah. Uh, so um, then Justin Langer said that seeing Steve Smith marched out of South Africa like a criminal um, really, um, well, killed him, they were the words Justin Langer used. And then our good mate Pete Lawler enters and he talks about the damage to the Australian cricket team's brand by this uh, scandal. And I think that's a lot about what this uh, documentary is about is that uh, when they start the documentary, the brand and the team is at a very low ebb and then by the end they've kind of come out of that and that Lawler gives good context there. I really liked the way that they covered off the ball tampering thing because they did it quickly. You know, you could have devoted an entire episode to that, but that's not the story that they're telling, you know. They haven't got all the access to that. And it was good that it, if you didn't know cricket, it gave you enough context. And that's another thing I love, that I've got uh, a couple of friends who have hatred of cricket and I'm going to try to persuade them to watch this because I think they, they won't be cricket fans afterwards, but I, I think it, you don't need to be a cricket fan to find this documentary powerful and captivating. That's right. And there's some things coming up that are especially amusing. Uh, so at this point, we see how happy Justin Langer is to be appointed as Australian coach and the immense pride he feels for the country. And, um, you know, it's probably... Um, I guess it's sort of sort of pride that I can't quite identify with that sort of uh, intense um, passion about this country. It's a it's a difficult one because I think that um, Langer's pride for Australian cricket and his love for Australian cricket and his passion for Australian cricket is a little bit over the top. But I think that's a good thing in a coach. And I I, I contrast. Remember where twenty two thousand and one when. Pat Rafter made the final at Wimbledon and Steve Waugh led a couple of Australia's, Australian players to, the, to cheer him on. And he said, let's wear our baggy green caps. And Langer did. And Warren was like, oh, come on. You know, you guys are going to look stupid wearing baggy green cap. Thing is, I agree with Warren. I think they did look a little bit silly. But give me the choice of uh, whether I want Langer and Steve Waugh in the Australian setup coaching or Warren. I'll choose Langer and Steve Waugh because I think you need to be a little bit um, over the top in your passion to, to do a really good job. So, uh, you know, I, I think this documentary once again emphasised how happy I am that Langer's, cap, that Langer's coach. Yep, I echo those sentiments. And then we see Tim Payne at home and, and we see um, his sort of uncomplicated mindset and he talks about how he, he's keeping the job as Australian captain pretty simple and at this stage he was also 
the one day captain. He, he wants to lead by example and just do the job of setting fields and, you know, be a captain. And so uh, I think we really see sort of Payne's uncomplicated Tasmanian mindset. And then we get an interesting insight, JL, Justin Langer, sending a sort of group WhatsApp message to all the players saying, are you in? Question mark. But what are you going to do? You got to reply, no, mate, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not buying in. Exactly. Your have... boss sends you a message saying, <laughs> how's your attitude today? Oh, shit house, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, I, I don't buy into your um, your approach, Justin. And, you know, if you could just block that $2 million off my income and everything I've ever dreamed of, no worries, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. But it's the sort of thing that, again, it's a bit silly, but I'm pleased that he did it, if, if that kind of makes sense. And then uh, the the story picks up with the Australian one-day team heading over to England to play a five-match ODI series. And Tim Payne was the captain, first uh, uh, assignment for Justin Langer as coach. And on the way, they they stop at Poziers in France. And um, this is the scene of a horrific battle in World War One, where over there were over 15,000 casualties for Australia in this battle. And... Um, yeah, just a horrible place, but but a, a very important place in Australian history to go and visit. And I love these types of trips personally. I love going to sort of World War One and Two battlefields and and trying to understand what they went through. And and I think that taking sort of younger players or or any players to these things is good for them because it gives them a bit of a broader context on. Um, the country and you you know i take for granted that i've studied history quite extensively and i have that knowledge but some of these cricketers might not know about this kind of horror so i think it's good for them but i don't like it when it crosses over to sort of likening the australian test team to a a team of soldiers yeah and I, i i agree with you um my other concern and i firstly i think that just going to the western front is is significant because gallipoli gets so much publicity yet australians Australia had something like six times as many people killed on the Western Front than did Gallipoli. So the education side of it is good. I think that they were suitably solemn and they were suitably uh, respectful of the whole war. The one thing that gets me is that I don't think there's anything at all to be learnt from the war in terms of that can be applied to a cricket team. I think the only thing you can learn from World War One that it's one of the great tragedies of the history of the world. And yes, the soldiers exhibited great courage, but what would came of it? absolutely nothing it was an unmitigated human disaster and i walk away from it feeling angry and sad i don't then want to think oh well this could help me be a better cricketer and i think that they were pretty pretty okay on that front and there was a moment where the team manager gavin dovey organized letters for all the team that were actually from their parents and uh and the letters were to from the parents to tell their children how proud they were of them playing for australia and uh Justin Langer was pretty moved by what Gavin Dobie did. And Justin Langer also says that his, part of his mission is to make great people, not just great cricketers. And, and I sort of think about this, and, and I agree in principle that from a team point of view, you need good team players, that you need people that can function around other humans and not be difficult. But as far as being a, a great person, I don't think that's the remit of the coach. I think that if um, Steve Smith was scoring, averaging 60-plus in test cricket, but he, he wasn't a great person off the field, would you not pick him? Yeah, I suppose they're probably making a delineation that great person around the team especially, that you want the person that's going to be 
doing all the little things behind the scenes to help and being a total team player, if then away from the team as a whole, they are engaging in behaviour that's not synonymous of being a great human. Well, I suppose that's that's a separate thing. We do go in then into a sort of um, a behind the scenes meeting of the Australian team of, of Justin Langer trying to explain to the team the difference between having banter and and abusing players. And he he says that we can still be fierce players, but we can be good blokes as well. So, I mean, I think we covered that at the time of the sandpaper, this whole discussion between sort of banter and abuse, but I enjoyed seeing sort of Justin Langer talk about it. Yeah, I did, but it was disappointing that uh, I would have liked to have thought that if an Australian coach said, we're just going to stop the abuse, that the, the simultaneous response from every player would have been, but we've never done any abuse. The fact that there was stony silence around that indicated that some of the behaviour in years, in years past must have um, uh, been substandard. In Tim Payne's press conference today, he was asked, um, you know, have standards slipped in domestic cricket after there was a couple of big fines um, for a couple of Victorian players, etc., throughout the summer? And he says, no, he thinks that uh, the, the behaviour within Australian cricket's actually been pretty good. and. I have to say, from all the Shield cricket we saw, apart from the, the odd little, you know, flare-up, there was nothing. It was all played in good spirits. Oh, I tend to agree. I, I, I think that, that what Langer and Payne have brought in, I think, has been a refreshing change and has the, the, the overall um, tone in which cricket is played is better. I also do think, though, that the national side has to be held to higher standards than the domestic sides. That, that there's kind of a, a cultural acceptance among Australian first-class cricketers that I can spend six hours calling you for everything and then... Five minutes later, we'll happily have a beer together. That doesn't always work when you bring other countries in who don't have that same culture. And so I think that um, what goes in domestic cricket can't always be accepted at what goes at the, the higher level. Yeah, good point. And also the, the microscope on the international game mm. is much more powerful. So the ODI series uh, against the Poms begins in this documentary. It's a five-match series and cricket fans out there will have some memories of it, I'm sure, because it was pretty notable. Um, yeah, what do you think of that beginning? I, the only thing I thought was, was, if you weren't a cricket fan, I think you would have thought this was the World Cup starting. But they were talking about how we're going to be in London and we're going to be playing the World Cup. And if you were just sort of a casual supporter, you would think, oh, this is the World Cup. But they make that clear eventually. But um, uh, minor little criticism there. I love the way that they covered um, this series. My, so did I. And my favourite bit was uh, jumping ahead to that after that second game. So Australia's lost the first game, then lost the second. And then Langer has sat there in the dressing room and given them one of the almighty sprays. And initially, I thought this was a documentary um, trick that maybe he'd been doing that the whole time and they'd held that back and then sort of thrown it upon people. But then it turned out that all the team were just as, just as shocked that suddenly here's Langer swearing and going at it. And I thought it was, um, I loved seeing it. Um, I thought it was, I was a bit scared um, and I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and that follows on from a, a big point about Justin Langer telling all the players just to focus on the ne- next ball. And, uh, yeah, that, that was interesting hearing that up close. Concentrate on the process of the next ball because when I used to read Steve War books, that was always his big thing. Just put everything into the next ball. So, uh, yeah, Australia gets hammered in the first two. Justin Langer loses his rag, um, gives it to the team. And um, they head to the third ODI. And uh, before it, it's quite a good trick because they have they have one of the players talking quite positively beforehand about the game. And, and it might have been Finch. I can't remember who it was. But, you know, they were saying they were feeling pretty good. And, you know, just you go into the game thinking, okay, this could be a turnaround. But, 
you know, yeah. those of us If you who... didn't know better, yeah, if you didn't know the score, everything about every story-making trick, this is, ah, has bottomed out. They've had the spray, they've had the introspection, they've had, the, like, the rocky montage of getting better. They showed the players walking out as, oh, this time it's going to be different. Like, oh, yeah, now the true Australia's going to rise. <laughs> And I found that pretty funny because I know what happened in the yeah. game. So I was laughing, giggling the whole way through. But I was thinking, you know, if you're just, you know, one of our mates who we send this to and they don't know the, the game, they're going to be sort of invested thinking, yes, oh, and they're going to get a big shock when England makes 481 for six, <laughs> the highest ever ODI score, England's biggest ever win, Australia's biggest ever loss. Yeah. And uh, it, it was sort of an all-time low for Australian team and we see – they didn't really sort of go into that match so much, did they, afterwards? It kind of, they just went on to the next one. It's funny, they spent more time after the second loss. But I think they they pulled their, their trick that if you, as you said, if you didn't know and then suddenly your expectations have been shattered and you think, oh, my God, this team's absolutely in the doldrums. I, I think it suddenly gets you even more invested and you're starting to sort of almost cheer them on like they're a bunch of, um, a bunch of underdogs. And then we see, you know, Ricky Ponting and Adam Gilchrist are around the team giving them advice. I think Marcus Stoinis gives a really good little insight mm. into that tour, sort of that it was the nightmare that just kept going. You know, you, you go to training and you, you, then you go to match and you lose again and you're back at training and you're struggling and you're getting heckled and just one long nightmare. Um, so I think that was a really good insight of sort of how rough that tour was. And we also see the, the coaches meeting. Um, Brad Haddon says the players are shying away from the contest. David Saker says the skills are just not there. And, and it's interesting because David Saker wasn't in that coaching setup for too long once Justin Langer took over. So I was looking for any signs that Saker and Langer weren't quite gelling. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell from anything there that they weren't gelling. But um, I think Saker's point actually was kind of right, that you can have the best coaching and best processes in the world. But fundamentally, that Australian side in 2018 was vastly inferior to the England side. And then it goes to the, the, the fifth ODI. And I sort of, um, you know, was watching the, the scenes afterwards where England were parading around, uh, having won the one-day series 5-0. And it, it was almost like they'd won the Ashes 5-0, the way they were carrying on. But, but what, what I think really stuck with me is that series actually, jumping forward, probably did affect the result in the World Cup. I think going into that World Cup semi-final in 2019, I'm sure the Poms had a, a bit of extra confidence after completely thrashing us 5-0 the year before. Even though they, we beat them in the group stage, I still think that completely dominant performance over us must have helped them. Uh, so that was the end of the first episode. We really uh, got an insight into that horror tour. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, you know, I enjoyed seeing the sort of dressing room flare-ups where players are sort of, you saw that scene where players are like throwing stuff and really frustrated. And um, so, yeah, I enjoyed the first episode. Any slight annoyances for you? Uh, there are only slight ones. Um, so nothing really of, of note. But the, the main thing is just how delightful it was to have cricket being treated in this way. That you know, You've seen documentaries in the past and they're, they're okay. But this reminded me of those ESPN 30 for 30 ones where they're lavish and they really put all the resources into it and, and really make it a top quality production. And I mean, I would, I would just say that the government should immediately pass a law that this documentary crew should follow the Australian team around forevermore and keep on churning these documentaries out because um, I, I want to keep on watching. Well, two things on that. I think um, they should make a law that all children have to watch it at school. Um, <laughs> yes. 
so on the curriculum. <laughs> that should be on the curriculum. And they've actually kind of um, struck a bit of gold, the, the Amazon crew that did this, because they've, they've released it at a period where there's nothing else to do. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about this documentary because cricket stopped and, you know, this is some sort of fresh content to talk about it. So, you know, not only is it going to be a great exposure for the Australian cricket team, but I think Amazon's going to get what they want, which is a few new subscribers. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. All right. So coming up after the break, we've got listener mail and some feedback from our fine listeners out there. Before we go, I just want to remind you, while we're all isolated, we'd love to hear from you a bit more. Um, Please send us questions, send us messages. You can reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at Pod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod. Uh, you can email us, ozcricketpod at gmail.com. We're on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. We're on TikTok as Cricket Unfiltered. So please uh, send in your emails, your questions, topics. I know um, you've been given a few history topics on Twitter that mm. people have asked you to um, dive into. So, yeah, we really want uh, a lot of um, engagement and we want to keep in touch because, um, as I said um, last week, all in various states of isolation, some with more people, some with less, but uh, the community is still thriving in the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Absolutely. And if you are um, pretty knowledgeable about the game, um, please listen to that mini pod that I've just put up about the the history of the broadcast of cricket from England to Australia, because there's one or two questions that I raised in there that I can't find the answer to. Um, And so anyone out there who's a bit of an expert um, from, from back in the day, then tune in and let me know. And we're back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, Manners and Paul here, and it's listener mail time. And the first one comes from Colin Lyons. Hey, guys, great news that you are continuing the podcast through these difficult times. I'm looking forward to your cricket history segment and your episode episode by episode reviews of the test documentary on Amazon, Amazon Prime. I enjoyed the first episode. High level of production values, great cinematography, good narration, and dramatic pace. I am so far resisting the temptation to binge watch the remaining episodes in one sitting. I will try to wait and watch episode two after listening to your review of the first one. Thank you, Colin. That's exactly what I'm doing, Colin. I'm holding myself back from each one. Now, do you want to read the next one, Paul? It's from John Herbert, an Irishman in London. I was so happy to hear that you're going to carry on regardless of COVID-19. Been listening to you for ages and love the humour and dynamics of the show. I got really interested in Australian cricket because of the Big Bash and then being able to watch the national side play on satellite TV. As prior to that, it was only the Ashes. I'm a 40-something Surrey supporter in London and watch all formats at the Oval. Our county T20s pretty much sell out. So around 25,000 fans pretty much across all demographics. But then the county game for one day is maybe two to 4,000 depending on who's playing and whether at the weekends or not. And then the actual county championship is anything from probably one to 3,000 each day barring the start of the season. The international games all pretty much sell out. How does the Sheffield Shield compare? We get no coverage of it here, so I love listening to you guys discuss it. Is it televised? Our T20s are, but that's about it, and it's on pay TV. And so he goes on and talks about the amazing atmosphere at the Oval. Thanks very much, John Herbert, for that. Um, Unfortunately, the Sheffield Shield is not televised except for the final, but it is available on Cricket Australia's stream, where Menes and I enjoy commentating on the New South Wales home games very much. Yeah, and that's something we've discussed that maybe it could get a bit more um, coverage um, as time goes on. But I know um, they stream a lot of the county cricket as well. And, uh, yeah, I think that's um, 
Shield gets pretty good coverage um, considering, but I, I don't think it has quite the same place in the community that county cricket has, Paul. I agree with that. Uh, it's a strange thing. I don't know why that is, but um, there are people, plenty of people who keep an eye on the Sheffield Shield and if asked would say they want their state to win. But I know of some England cricket fans who are kind of county fans first and foremost. And, you know, they'll watch the internationals, but oh, they're much more eager to get back and watch their county play. I don't think that exists all that much in Australia. Yep, I'd agree with that. All right, we've got a tweet from Robert Fairhead, one of our most loyal listeners and um, been listening to the show for a long time. Uh, he says, thanks, Menas and Paul. Um, caught up with the start of this week's episode, walking my dog around the block. He says he was social distancing at 11.30 p.m. And he appreciates us keeping the podcast going through this difficult time. And he looks forward to our reviews of the test. Thanks, Robert, and thanks for uh, regularly engaging on Twitter. It's always a pleasure. Mark Cornwall here. Um, hi, guys, including Jaleesa. Thanks for keeping the podcast going. It helps bring us a little bit of normality during this time. Yeah, and just as I said in the last show, Jaleesa Apps is taking a bit of a break from the podcast. Obviously, everybody's work-life schedule has been thrown completely upside down. So hopefully when this is all over, we'll have her back on the podcast. And then I got a got a message from Matty on Instagram. Just listened to the latest Ep Menas. Great show. And just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for keeping the pod rolling. Thank you for being a sound and reasonable voice in these very uncertain times. Not sure about that. Are you guys? <laughs> um, it's great to hear that we're here for them and they're here for us, he said. Keep your chin up and stay safe. And he says he found the test the test series to be exceptional. He's looking forward to hearing our take on it. Thank you, Maddie, for that messages. And thank you to all the people that have been in touch. That's just a sample of the people that have reached out. Now let's bring this home the way we like to end most of our podcasts is with can't let it go through to the keeper. The one bit of cricket news you can't let go. What is yours today, Paul? Well, I, I just got a, a, a delightful, pleasant shock by seeing that Shane Warne, as he periodically does, has released one of his lists of best players. Well, today it's um, the best test side that he's ever played with. And the, the hallmark of this is that every chance he gets, he excludes Steve Waugh. I once did a joke about if he had to pick his best Australian side with players starting with W, he wouldn't find a way to get Steve Waugh in there. Well, his best Australian side, amazingly, here's who he said he'd have batting at number six. I think you'd have to go... At number six with Steve Waugh. I think his all-round capabilities. He was more of a match saver than a match winner, but he was a tough cricketer. He was a very, very good batsman. Turned himself into a very reliable player by the end. His bowling was good and his fielding in the gully was good too. So I'd have to go Steve Waugh at six. So there you go, Menas. I just find that uplifting, delightful. Maybe there's a there's a cleansing of the tension. I doubt that. Um, but I just I don't know why it make, makes me so happy, but it does. <laughs> Seems like he's been worn down. He did still get a worn down. He still still did get a shot in at war there. He said that he's more a match saver than a match winner. Um, but yeah, that's a big thing for Warney to back down on that. Yeah, it's what he always says about Steve War. Like he'll grudgingly say he was pretty good in the gully, pretty good at saving matches and a, a handy bowler. But yeah, he picked him in the side. For for the record, his side was Aiden Slater, Ponting, Mark War, Border, Captain, Steve War, Gilchrist, May, Gillespie, Reed. And McGrath. So that's pretty good because um, 
that's basically he got he's got eight out of eleven correct there, Warney. Um, he's only made three mistakes. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. <laughs> Well, you wouldn't have May there. You wouldn't have Reed there, would you? I would have Reed. Yeah, Reed was great. Um, I wouldn't have May. Um, what I would have is instead of May, I'd have McGill. Um, and instead of Slater, I'd open up with Hussey because I think he needs to be squeezed into the side. And with great regret, even though Mark Wall was one of my favourite ever players, I'd probably have uh, Michael Clark in instead of Mark Wall. Well, that was um, Paul Dennett's team that Shane Warne played with. Shane Warne's... Yes. <laughs> I'm sure Warney will adjust his accordingly. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm sorry, a big no. Tim, May fan, Tim May fan. You, what? Yeah, he gave me his How jumper. is this coming out now? He gave me his jumper. He's a ripping bloke. Ripping oh, he's a bloke. ripping bloke and he's a good off spinner, but... Um, I don't think know. he's quite in the McGill category. No, though. no. That we can agree on. Yes. Well, my can't let it go is from the test because this is my all-time worst nightmare. I get this every time I'm going overseas. I, I get in the taxi and I'm heading to the airport and I freak out. Oh my God, I hope I've got my passport. I hope I've got the right passport. I hope I didn't pick up my old one. Well, Tim Payne on his first tour as Australian captain, flying to England, gets to the airport, pulls out his passport and it's Australian passport, but it's his daughter's passport. (laughs) And, you know, I just found that so amusing because that is my worst nightmare. Like, I I, I don't know, I freak out in the cab all the time. So Tim Payne... Um, yeah, taking the wrong passport to the airport on his first tour as Australian captain is my can't let it go. No wonder he was sacked. <laughs> I love that bit. And just because he had, the, he had the passport, so he knew I'm fine. But then when he pulled it out and to say, oh, what a reaction. I'm actually um, wearing my Australian uh, World Cup soccer jersey from when I was in Russia in 2018. This is an indication of how far down I've gone in my um, my available things to wear. <laughs> but when I was in Russia, you had, you had this thing that you had to have, which was kind of like your visa waiver and World Cup pass. You had to have it at all times. And you, you wore it around your neck. And I kept it scrupulously, um, you know, I'm, I'm always likely to lose things. And then one day we got on the bus and someone came and said, is Paul Dennett here? And I looked up and someone said, yeah, mate, you just left us out on the road. And I went, oh, okay. Um, so that would have been an utter <laughs> nightmare. So, uh, yeah, I certainly have um, empathy with Tim Payne. Well, that is it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Thank you for joining us, um, Paul. Thank you for joining me via Zoom. Thanks, Venice. It's been fun as always. And listeners, uh, as we said, we're going to be pumping out some history mini pods. I've got some feature interviews coming up and we're going to have our regular weekly podcast. So stay tuned and take care. Podcast Network.